Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Video can really be the difference, and I always say it shrinks the distance between us digitally. And if you understand, like, if we want to build trust and we want people to you know, feel closer, feel more intimate, feel like they believe in what we're doing, we have to find ways to shrink that distance. And I think video is the, is the greatest way to shrink that distance. Welcome to the Nice Podcast, all about communication, collaboration, and becoming better leaders. I'm your host, Dave Delaney from futureforth.com, where we help fast-growing technology companies retain talent and improve culture and communication so you have happier, more connected teams. Today, I'm speaking with the one and only Brian Fanzo. Brian's a digital futurist keynote speaker. He's a uh, quote-unquote girl dad times three, which I love, and he's also the host of the NFT 365 daily podcast brian welcome to nice hey hey, hey. thanks to ha- for having me it's nice to be here yeah it's awesome to have you here man so what's the nicest thing someone has done for you recently oh someone has done for me recently um oh well that's a that's a great question so <laughs> I, I was like well because you know i for me you know i'm i i love I love you know being home, but it's definitely a change for me since I, most of my career has been on the road. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'll actually say you know it's interestingly enough it was it was my youngest daughter. Right? So I have a twelve year old, a ten year old, and an eight year old. And uh, my eight year old, I took her to school yesterday morning, and we were walking outside, and she just she said, "Dad, thanks for always trying to make our days better when you drive me to school." Wow, and that's the way awesome. She said it was like you know as an eight year old looking up at you, and I was just like. Uh. It was one of those moments where, you know, everything else is going on chaotic and I was like, wait, she appreciates it. So yeah, that's the first thing that came to my mind on, on something nice and it happened from my eight year old daughter. That's amazing. Yeah, that's and and you know, I mean, you've got a ten and a twelve year old, and and I I have no doubt they are all awesome kids. But uh, I also I have a fifteen year old daughter and a and a sixteen year old son, and so I do realize that like around the ten, twelve, eleven uh, uh, mark, that's when things start to change a little bit. Uh, yeah, my, so that my oldest has me uh, <laughs> dropping her off in the 
outside of the middle school now. So oh, that, that just happened a month ago, and it was it was very very dis- the first time I was dad just drop me off and just keep going when you don't like wait for me, and I was like oh, and the very next drop off was dad can you do it on the side of the school? So it, it's <laughs> happening. I feel you. <laughs> I know it broke my heart when like when when this these things started happening. But I remember, you know, working from home as as like I've worked from home for a decade plus. And so part of that was always, you know, carpooling and taking my kids to school and teaching them the best music, uh, because that's also very important. And that's the advantage of carpooling. I got reprimanded at school because I like to do like I, I dabble in magic barely. And uh, I went for lunch and I sat at the little round table in the little chair with my kids and like their their classmates and then in a, in a packed room of, of other kids uh, doing the same thing. And I started doing some sleight of hand and it totally disrupted the whole thing. Right. Like they have like a precious like 25 minute window or something. And and uh, so the lunch lady actually told the teacher who then called my wife and I got reprimanded by the teacher and my wife for uh, disrupting, disrupting lunch. Oh, that's, that's kind of, I also love that you say you like dabble slightly in magic. Like just the idea that you, you're even, you contemplating it is you're you're like 10 legs up on me. So I, I I got dad jokes. That's about it. That's it for my, with my daughters. And they, they're not a fan of that. They're, they, they often tell me that I dress too bright and, uh, and they, they kind of wish that I would, you know, dress more without like less pink stad and, you know, but uh, I love that you dabble in magic. Yeah, I've always I've always been nerdy that way. Like I like uh, I like car tricks and kind of like a little bit of sleight of hand and some some gimmicks and stuff like that. Um, and uh, and I go through like periods of my life where I get really excited about it again, and then I start buying a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and so I kind of went through that uh, maybe a, a couple of years ago again. And uh, yeah, it's fun. It, it's definitely a, a fun thing to do for sure. So tell me, tell me like who is someone that was especially nice to you in your career? Oh, well, I, I will say I'm, I'm pretty spoiled. I, I have never had a bad boss, um, as wild as that sounds. And I've had a very diverse career. I, you know, I worked, uh, actually worked, I worked in UPS, uh, delivering packages for the first year out of college. Uh, yeah. and then I worked for the, the government for nine years and, uh, two startups before working for myself. And, I was very blessed. I had a lot of really, you know, bosses that uh, kind of went out of their way, um, you know, to empower me. Like I always felt like they were okay with the fact that like I was confident that one day they would probably work for me. So mm. I'm very, I'm very blessed of like that approach. But when you, when you said that, you know, I will say, you know, the, the smartest person that I've ever met, the, the CEO of the last company I ever worked for before going on my own, uh, his name was George Slesman, and he owned uh, you know, one of the largest data center companies uh, in the United States. He started out of his dorm room in Arizona State. And you know, he always, he was a tough guy to crack. He was uh, very stuck in like his ways. He, he's, but he also is the reason I became a public speaker is because he hated uh, public speaking. So oftentimes I would take uh, the opportunities that he would back out of. And he always like appreciated my like, commitment to being a parent and that wasn't the case really in the in the government role I had and he you know I ended up the company got bought and on the day that the company got bought the startup that I got bought uh, they came in and laid me off they said Hmm. you know we don't understand what an evangelist is and we have no idea why you report to the CEO we have no idea why you don't have KPIs or sales quotas or any of these things 
Uh, so like today's your last day. And, and up to that time, I'd been there a little over two years, like my face was on the side of the building. I was very much like the voice of that company, but they were getting bought by a, a big conglomerate. Um, and I had just had my second kid with, I mean, within three months mm. uh, of, of having my second daughter. And so my old, they're, and they're only 14 months apart. And he, without me asking, I was still kind of packing up my stuff on that day. Uh, he messaged me. He's like, hey, in a couple of days, message me. I have some work for you with um, a couple of startups that I have that um, you don't have to sweat. And I will say it's the, the nicest golden parachute you could ever have asked for is that uh, he hired me pretty much within a couple of days uh, f for, he said, how much were you making for our company? And I told him and he said, I'll pay you that much to advise my, my startups for the next six months to kind of get you on your feet as an entrepreneur. And I mean, I'm indebted to him to this day because I, I don't know if, uh, I'm able to kind of lean in knowing with like the stresses of a young, you know, young children and, and that if it wasn't for him and, you know, he's, he might, he might be known like publicly as being a little bit of a, a tough act and he's ridiculously smart, but it was the nicest thing that I didn't expect or see coming. And, and I'm still paying off the, the benefit of that, you know, eight years later now and, and doing what I'm doing. And I think a lot of it has to do with his, you know, nice gesture that he definitely didn't have to do. Yeah, that's amazing. So what, what is George doing now? Uh, so he's he, funny enough. He kind of went back into like a very similar calm space because he just loves working, um, and he's he's do, I think he's more of the advising side on some of these big uh, PR comm side of the house. But yeah, George Leshman, he's uh, his brother and him out of Phoenix, Arizona. I mean, by far one of the. I mean, he he has worked with like you know the Amazons, the you Challenge, Rackspace, and Google when it came to uh, data center technology, and uh, just all around really great human too. Yeah, that's yeah. He sounds like it. He sounds like a, a great guy, great heart uh, for sure. Did um and uh, did, remind me now, are you are you originally from Phoenix or whereabouts are you from? No, so I'm from Pittsburgh. Uh, okay, yeah. And went to school in Virginia, and then somewhere in the middle, I was traveling so much. I asked my boss if I could move because I didn't really like Northern Virginia, and uh, he said yes. And uh, at the time, my brother was uh, just graduating from Arizona State, so I moved out there. Uh, my daughters were born uh, out in Arizona. We lived out there for about eight years, and then mm. uh, my divorce brought me back to Virginia. So I'm I'm in Northern Virginia now, uh, but loved Arizona. I miss miss the Arizona days uh, uh, for sure. But uh, yeah, so a little bit of everywhere. Yeah, and you were also uh, in military in the military too, right? You were in uh, you I was even a yeah. So I was a government contractor for a little over nine years, uh, working with the out of the Pentagon here in DC uh, in cybersecurity. So yeah, that was my. My, I couldn't get a job right out of college, so I worked at UPS, and uh, and actually, you know, that's probably another a nice gesture. Is I was actually in line getting milk, wearing my fraternity letters, and the gentleman in front of me asked me about my fraternity, and we had a conversation, and uh, asked if I could get a clearance, and I said I think I could. And he's like, I might have a job for you, and he ended up being my first boss uh, in my government role. That happened to be, you know, getting milk in a grocery store, wearing <laughs> fraternity letters, and uh, and the craziest story of that is, you know, eight months after he hired me. Uh, I had got promoted and he was moved underneath me and he ended up working on my team for about five years. So uh, that's a, another nice example. His name's Joel Andrews. Shout out to Joel. Uh, just a, another yeah. great boss that really kind of positioned me uh, nicely. And, and, you know, thank goodness I was wearing my fraternity letters getting milk or I might still be wearing the short shorts and I might be in the best <laughs> shape of my life delivering UPS packages because it was a great job. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was a nice gesture as well. 
So tell me about, okay, this is interesting actually, because, and, and for those, uh, hopefully if you're familiar with Brian and you would know visually, yeah, you do. I mean, like your kids say, you know, why do you wear so many bright colors all the time and your baseball cap backwards and so forth. But I wonder if, I don't know if you consciously realized or, or even reflected on that experience on the, on the idea of, of visually not not going out with your fraternity clothes like you're visually branding yourself intentionally but but because of that visual sort of brand association that led to that that success you know that amazing experience professionally um i wonder if there are ties between sort of that experience and where you've gone and where you've taken your own uh visually your own your own professional brand what are your what are your thoughts on that uh, without question, I, and actually, I attribute a lot to being born in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You know, when you're, you know, in Pittsburgh, you know, everyone bleeds black and yellow sports. And you know, I joked when we moved. I was in fourth grade when we moved to Virginia, and I was so confused that the other parents at, at the church we were going to, that their parents didn't wear football colors to church because right. in Pittsburgh, <laughs> everyone like you just wear black and yellow everywhere. It's a very you know, we're proud of our sports teams uh, there, and I still am. I say we, you know, my, I drive a black and yellow Jeep, but my, my daughters were born in the terrible towels. Like, I, I, <laughs> I, you know, it's just like my, my world. And I will say, like, um, you know, interestingly on that point, like, one of the things for me growing up, uh, you know, I, I have ADHD, and I didn't know this at the time, but now looking back and, and being, you know, an advocate and ally in, the, in that space and, and around my neurodiversity, I, I now realize that I often would use things that would allow me to stand out individually that would that I could control so that the limitations that my ADHD would present weren't the thing that stood out. And so for me, like I drove, you know, I drove a, a Jeep. I was the kid that was a, I was a thespian, but I also played on the baseball team. I DJed at a skating rink. I was like very active in, in multiple different things. I always kind of had my own, like my own style and approach. And that was really what allowed me to be very successful in college and high school with friends and, and groups, not great at school, but great in those other areas. And, you know, and funny enough, you know, when I left the government, I kind of lost, you know, weirdly people would have thought like, oh, the government would have like kind of controlled that. But I was actually more of like the token millennial for about nine years where they, they kind of put me on a pedestal. Like I was one of the youngest people to get uh, the, the top secret uh, SCI clearance uh, at my government agency. And I, I kind of got, you know, trotted out there as like, hey, this kid who wears that backwards hat still, you know, and, and his suit jacket, uh, you know, in the government at the Pentagon is, you know, on our team. But weirdly, when I left there, I, I, I do feel like social media for about three years, from 2010 to 2013, I started to like put on this like persona online where I, I didn't have a baseball hat on. I didn't have bright colors on the background. I, you know, I ran everything through an editor. I would spend hours before posting anything. Um, and, on, and the reason this trigger was when you said that, because like my mom called me out on it. And I actually tell this story on stage now. That's why I know some of those dates. But it was like, I know the date for sure, because we ended up going, my mom and I went back and like, it was November 2nd, 2013. And my mom had literally called me and was like, I'm not sure what's going on with like you and social media, but I just want to make sure that you're still being yourself and you're not getting lost online because you're not even wearing a hat in your profile photos. And that was like my mom, like, you know, calling me up and, you know, and I'm, and I, and I remember being like, mom, you don't understand social media. You have no idea what you're talking about. Like, and I hung up the phone and it was like that realization that day that I was like, wait a second, the reason I don't think I'm enjoying online, the reason I don't think I'm standing out, the reason I feel like this, like, more so imposter syndrome was I was kind of shelling that version of me that I've always been. 
And mm. I, since that day forward, so anyone that knew me kind of like those years, I think it was like shell shock for them that I was so, you know, I'm very, you know, loud. I'm not afraid to kind of, you know, kind of not only dress my own way, but approach things my own way. Yeah. Uh, but it has been, I, I will, I will say it's been uh, an essential part of my, you know, brand. And I, and also at the same time, you know, I always like to say, I also had the highest civilian clearance that you can get. So like I understood like where I could push things or the balance and also the need in some arenas that I needed to wear a suit jacket, a suit tie. And, and I, you know, I briefed the joint chief of staff, uh, you know, every quarter for four years, but I also understood that I also needed to, you know, set myself up for the best possible success, which means I'm most comfortable in my own skin when I'm able to kind of control, you know, how I, how my like first impression is. Yeah. I wonder if, and especially with imposter syndrome, which we all experience, um, something where where leaders maybe n- not fail at, at at being themselves but i think i think leaders especially if they're like put into a senior position or they're suddenly leading a team or they're even leading a, a company um that yeah maybe they feel like they've got to lose the baseball cap and the black and yellow clothes and and kind of look the part and in order to play the part and and from that end up being miserable yeah and i think that also kind of comes in like a lot of the narrative that comes down, right? Like the idea that like you can't be too friendly with your employees and like Mm. understand that balance and like your appearance and the fact that you can share things you're passionate about doesn't mean that you also can't understand that, that, that balance. And I will say like, you know, I, I manage a very large team with a, a very large budget with the government. And uh, I, my first 30 hires were all older than I was, you know, because cybersecurity wasn't very popular then. People weren't going for college. So it was uh, almost every, you know, I had 32 direct reports on, on my team. And the first 30 were all older than I was. And the interesting part of that was, like, I attribute a lot of my success was that when I got the role, most people told me, hey, this is what the guy before you was doing. So you're probably going to want to adjust who you are. And I kept telling myself, like, that person is no longer in the role because they were doing things that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I got this opportunity to do this because I do things my way. And I'm very blessed because of that. But I, I do feel, and I understand it, right? Like that idea of like, okay, now I'm at this level. I need to, you know, now I have a different standard to set. I have to keep like this distance between myself and the employees. But I think that, that I think that's usually that conversation is you you know painted with too wide of a brush and i think it does need to be a little bit more drilled down to understand like hey you do have to understand how to separate things but it doesn't mean you can't connect you know with your with your employees or with those on your team by sharing some of your passions or kind of you know bringing your own approach to things how did you do that i like with your with some of the folks in your team to to get to know them better and to build a a, a, a good rapport with them because obviously you know the cost of of replacing and rehiring and retraining talent is astronomical economical. Um, I've got a little calculator I built on uh, futureforth.com that actually has the calculator there. You can actually put in a salary and see how much it will cost to replace that, that person. <laughs> so we know it's astronomical. Um, so what were some of the ways that you did that to, in, or, in order to sort of build these relationships? So, you know, the, the first thing that comes to mind, you know, from, so like I was a big believer in like, I wouldn't ask them to do anything I wasn't willing to do myself. Mm. And, and one of those, like we worked, you know, we worked on a government contract. So there's a lot of things that, um, had some regulation on, like we had a certain amount of hours that we had a bill and we had to be working, uh, during those hours. So there was a lot of things where we were tracking, you know, how people were working, where they were working. And, and this was, you know, 2007, 2011. And some of those things I, I know still are in play. And I remember one of the things I did, and I still actually, a couple of the people that worked for me still, we're still in connection. And they will tell me, they still tell the stories of like, 
they were very, they were like, Brian, I can't believe that like we have to have Microsoft communicator, you know, lit up and it has to be active that we're actually working. And I said, well, you know what I'll do? I'm going to turn on, and this was like, you know, the right at the early, like it might've been like the iPhone three, iPhone three GS. Mm. I said, I'll tell you what, I will turn on, find my friends for you and you will be able to know where I'm at during all of the days. And if I'm going to play golf or if I'm going to, you know, a meeting <laughs> at a bar, I want to be very transparent. And I was like overly, and like to the point where I was like, remember, like this is me showing like, I understand that there's a weird balance and there's like a, like there's just like something that goes on there. Yeah. And I remember it, it not only like kind of like put the trust forward, but it allowed the dialogue to be very fluid between like things they didn't like. And I will tell you, I remember going back to like through my team and while we were sitting in one of our, our board meetings and my, I talked to my boss and he was like, Brian, you, I feel like, you can feel like you never worked in this on that team. Like, but I can feel like you can feel it. And I was like, well, I could because I kind of demonstrated a version of that and they presented me and, and it ended up being, we ended up changing the policy a little bit. So where yeah. it wasn't as invasive. And I think a lot of it had to do with that. And I think, you know, just the idea that I was willing to add that layer of transparency to kind of demonstrate that, you know, I was willing to do that, I think was probably one of the best decisions, uh, you know, that I made. And I was also not afraid to to share my mistake like even if they didn't my employees didn't see it i would you know after of course like i'd be like i would deliver that and i'd say actually just so you know i was the person that hit reply all on that email and i didn't do the checking and mm. and this is what it cost me and i remember people saying how refreshing that was and like to me it was also like i want you to know i don't need you to be perfect and that we all make mistakes but i also want you to know like that there are you know you know, there's a, there's some results that will happen from that. And, and I, I really tried to like humanize that version of, of, of myself. And it's actually still what I do to this day is uh, I try very hard not to uh, portray perfection just because I know that no one believes that anyone is perfect. So that I think breaking down that barrier has, has been a big win for me. Yeah, for sure. And, and the fact that yeah, I was going to actually comment on that too, but you actually mentioned that you do that still today. That's what I was going to actually mention was, your transparent and, and honest approach to, to what you're doing and the content that you produce and, 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 you know, how you communicate that is, is definitely, uh, definitely on point and clear. Um, when you think of like, uh, leaders of organizations who want to be able to become more, more transparent, more honest and, and more trusted, um, and doing it in, in ways, you know, beyond just their staff, maybe, you know, all stakeholders or investors or so forth. Um, what are your what are your thoughts? I mean, obviously, I, I do want to talk a little bit about video because you, you know you're you're one of the people that I, I think of when I think of of someone who's done such a wonderful job using video, um, you know, streaming and 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 videos, you know, YouTube and so forth. Tell me a little bit about kind of how that came to be and uh, and maybe some some tips on maybe how a leader or someone can use video to better you know communicate their own uh, their own management style and and their own personal brand as well. Yeah, of course. And I appreciate the, the kind words. And yeah. I will say, you know, a big a big thing for me is, you know, there's a difference between transparency and oversharing. I think sometimes we think yeah. of the, the kind of the two as the same. And I always say like, you know, transparency is more about giving people a window into what you have going on. And a lot of like the oversharing boasting is like me putting things in front of everyone else, right? And like broadcasting, you know, my dirty laundry or my things that are going on to the world. And I always say like, for me, the magic is in the word access. Like I really think 
the word access is the key to kind of the mindset shift because that's what that's what people are craving from your employees to your customers to your clients. It's access to get to know who you are at your core, right? And I think there that access is often hard to get or hard to gauge if we're only you know interacting via a email or text message or even mm. the phone uh, for many cases where phone allow us to be you know, authentic and often vulnerable, but it's mostly vulnerable in the things like we want to share versus what video really allows. And, and you know, a lot of it is that like nonverbal, but it's, you know, I like to think of video is I'm letting people in kind of see who I am versus a lot of our other communication is us having to put things out there. Um, and that's, that's been kind of a, a magic recipe, I think for a lot of, uh, you know, managers and executives, especially today where, you know, it is a game of trust and, and we have to ask ourselves like, you know, how are we building that trust? And then we also have to ask ourselves, you know, are we only willing to build trust via the vehicles or content or communication style that we are most comfortable with? Because mm. let's face it, if we want to get the best answer, we want to get the most out of the people that we're working with, we need to be willing to communicate how they prefer to be communicated with. And I, I think there is something beautiful about like looking somebody in their, you know, digital eyeballs for, for whatever <laughs> it's worth, right? Like, yeah. And, and I think even like, you know, I was you know, talking to my, one of my daughter's uh, school teachers and uh, my middle daughter is like myself, has ADHD and, and dyslexia. And, and I was talking to the teacher and she was like, it's so different when the students are on video versus off video. And like the, the school district here um, what isn't allowed to actually uh, you know, require kids to be on, uh, on video. And I remember kind of walking her through. She was asking me for tips based on, you know, what we do with speaking and, and video. And I remember walking her through like, rather than like forcing people to be on video because it, video still feels like for those that are intimidated by video, it's because we're trying to be what we see like on TV, right? Like we're trying to be like, yeah. like that, like where you have to perform all of a sudden. And I think the, the thing that becomes beautiful is when it's more of, we have to like, we have to level set. We have to like set the, the expectations, the energy from the start when we communicate via video. And if you do that from the very beginning, it changes the entire dynamic. And I, mean, I think everyone, I used to have to use examples of like, now, if you've ever on Zoom, but I think now every human being's been on Zoom uh, in the last two years, right? Like, it's it's the difference between someone coming in, asking how how's everybody doing, not caring about the answer, and then jumping into an agenda, versus someone being coming in and and kind of like welcoming to the people of the room, giving them a little background, like, oh, I don't know if this light behind me is good. Can you guys see this you know picture of my cat or whatever that may be? Yeah, you'll, you'll notice that like that it completely shifts that you know energy and dynamic. And for most people they don't recognize like that's the key to the video piece because as soon as you move away from this need to perform to a camera and now you just have to, you know, I always call it, it's participatory content. Like I'm just participating and the camera happens to be, you know, the vehicle that's allowing me to do that. Uh, it does change the, you know, the, the big dynamic there. But I always say there's, I have two rules for video. One is that you have to remember that perfection is a fairy tale. Like you cannot, you know, convey perfection. Like <laughs> the only thing you can guarantee pretty, especially with like live video or zoom is that like something's going to go wrong, right? Yeah. We both are podcasters and we got on this podcast and I couldn't <laughs> get my audio to stop echoing. Right. And like, right. and that's just a basis of our, our world. And so I always say like the first rule is that perfection is a fairy tale. And then the second one is that control is an illusion, right? We only can control ourselves. We can't control all of the other variables outside of the, of the camera and the lighting or what people are are thinking or what they're saying and i think when you kind of embrace those two things yeah. and you think about it as hey i'm not performing i'm just giving people access to who i am it, it can video can really be the the i think it can be the difference and i always say it shrinks the distance between us digitally 
And if you understand, like, if we want to build trust and we want people to you know, feel closer, feel more intimate, feel like they believe in what we're doing, we have to find ways to shrink that distance. And I think video is the, is the greatest way to shrink that distance. Yeah, video has been something that has been on my, obviously it's on my radar, uh, but it's something that I haven't done a ton of. Um, and it's partly, yeah, it's partly like thinking through, like when I write a long blog post or I, when I wrote my book, uh, you know, or, or when I do the podcast, you know, I'm thinking things through and, and with video, I don't seem for some reason I have no problem. I mean, I deliver, you know, God, like I don't know, 12 or 15 webinars a month. <laughs> so, so live, like they're not recorded. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing plenty of, of work in front of a webcam constantly. Um, but, but as far as like my own thing from a video point of view, I mean, we're even recording this in audio only just because I've been podcasting with audio since Oh five. Um, <laughs> so T tell me some some maybe some tips and for for our listeners on how to maybe come up with uh, not necessarily a, uh, something as strict as like an editorial calendar, but something like that where you're thinking you're you're thinking through like what are you going to talk about what what is your video you know how long will, should it be you know how frequent should it be things like that and I do want to talk about about your your new podcast too so uh, but let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think it's part of, part of the, you know, I think part of the beauty and kind of like we're moving into this, what, you know, what we can refer to as a, a creator economy and, and like the web three world, which is kind of the, the trendy buzzword now at the moment. Mm. And what a lot of that means is that we're like, we're shifting the, the power dynamic from the power being held by, you know, platforms and entities to the power being held by us as individuals. And I say power is in the sense of like what data we share, how we show up. And, you know, up until this day, you know, if you're using a social network, you're paying for it with your data, right? That's a very mm -hmm. uh, clear narrative. And I think one of the things we have to look at is for, for the last many years, you know, the content we create, the things we've been putting out there, the platforms have benefited for the most part more than we have as individuals, right? So there's a there's a good reason that a lot of uh, people were kind of hesitant to like this idea of either, you know, creating content on a frequent basis or putting video content out there. But as we look at the last like five years and this desire for, for trust and the moving away from everything online being filtered or being um, controlled, one of the things that I think we have to start to look at is like, one of the other, you know, I mentioned transparency being a vehicle for trust. One of the other vehicles for trust is a level of consistency. And usually when I say that, I will say like, I, you know, I, I'm neurodiverse, ADHD and dyslexia. Consistency is definitely, you know, a oftentimes something that with those of us that have ADHD um, struggle with. And, it, and it's you know, weirdly attached to like our, our, you know, we will often kind of build up something or, or we won't be in the right mood um, for something to you know kind of be desired and and so like my advice for for those that are trying to kind of figure out consistency but also to not put too many controls or variables on things is I kind of give myself windows of time to decide like okay this window of time will be for creating or doing this and if mm. I'm not in the mood to create then I, I I give myself the grace for doing it right I think we get into this like programmatic stand where like if I don't do it now I'm not going to do it at all and it's when it's an all or nothing approach and you're trying to do something you're not comfortable with 
you're going to give up. You're going to stop, right? It's just like, it's like human nature for us to kind of, um, kind of yield away from that. And so for me, like that idea of, of grace, but also managing the expectations. Like when I say the word consistency, up until this year, I would always say like consistency is ultimately what you decide it is, right? So if you say, I'm going to show up every Friday, then your consistency is a weekly basis, right? If you're going to say, I'm going to do these webinars bi-weekly and and that's your consistency, you just have to deliver that because, you know, interestingly enough, consistency still to this day is one of the easiest things that every one of us can do. Yet one of the things we often overlook, we'll say things like, well, no one will notice if I don't do a, a podcast this week. Nobody will notice if I don't show up on, on Instagram stories for you know, months on end. But that consistency over time builds a layer of trust that even goes beyond what you're doing, your services you're providing. And, and for me, that's been, I mean, that's been a godsend because you know, as I've pivoted my career and I'm, I've one that, I'm one that loves to be an early adopter and I'll embrace new things, mm. I believe ultimately because I was building trust less about the actions I was taking or less about what I was like the conversations I was having or what I was doing, but more about, Hey, Brian, if Brian's going to be there, we know he's going to put all, he's going to go all in. We know he's going to try his best. We know he'll show up if he tells us he's going to show up. That has been a, you know, a massive kind of win. And I think in a world where, you know, pivots are going to come at us from all directions, you know, it's important to find ways that allow you to, you know, your audience to kind of follow you where you go without you having to like reinvent, you know, the trust and the vehicle, you know, on each time. And, you know, to kind of connect that to the podcast, Mm. you know, I'm one that, you know, I've said for the longest time, like I, you know, I've had uh, not as long as you, but I've had, uh, you know, I've had five podcasts over the last seven years. Um, Many of them, almost all of them were, were weekly. And I always laugh because I would say in the podcast, I can't guarantee what time of the day. I just know it'll be every Tuesday because like I, consistency was, was something that overwhelmed me so much that if I told people 9am, then I would get so nervous at 8pm at 8am that rather than like delivering it at 10, I would just not deliver it because I was like, well, I didn't deliver it at the time I would say. And so I actually managed my expectations that way. And interestingly enough, you know, came up with this idea uh, on November 6th and said, you know what, I want to go all in on this NFT web three space. Uh, and if I want to, that it's changing so fast, I'm gonna have to do a daily podcast, which uh, even putting when I said it out loud to my team, I was ready for them all to like kind of like laugh and be like, Brian, like that's not in your wheelhouse. Like, let's be real. You have ADHD. You've never. Yeah. Um, and, and they didn't. They were like, that would be a, an amazing idea. Yeah. And, you know, today while we're recording it, you know, this is uh, I've done 117 straight days of a podcast episode. And, you know, it's it's evergreen content. I'm not doing doing uh, news. It's very, you know, I'm recording it and editing it and uploading it myself. And it's been one of the, it is not even one of, it's the most rewarding piece of content that I've ever done. And I've been a creator on lots of different ways. And I think weirdly it was pushing myself to this new, you know, expectation of, of creating something daily, but also now realizing that I get messages throughout every single day where people have built me in to their daily routine in a way that I didn't even know I could be like that value, right? That interested, um, and so it's been a wild ride. And you know, by the time you know, my goal, the the name of the podcast is NFT three sixty five, and of course, it's for three hundred sixty five days. And so my my initiative was like, what if I just did a podcast episode every day for a year, and it became like kind of a time capsule of this entire landscape as NFTs become more popular and. Yeah, like so far, I mean, I, I had, you know, it's those, I, I launched November 11th, five days after I came up with the idea. And I was like, if I make it a Christmas, I'll be proud of myself. And it was actually around episode 62 that something clicked and it went from 
no longer having to like convince myself that I can be consistent and more like I'm going to show up for my people every single day. And it's weird. I can't picture a day moving forward that I'm not doing this podcast daily. And so um, I'm a testament to the idea of like, you know, 40 years of my life telling myself I couldn't do uh, something daily because of my you know ADHD and because of my track record. And now we're, you know, on the time we're recording this 117 days straight. And yeah you know, rolling on. That's awesome, man. So how, how are you thinking, you know, cause I, I was, I was asking about like the idea around an editorial calendar kind of thing. How are you able, especially in a daily podcast, um, where are you coming up with ideas? I mean, are you just like riffing or like you're, are you just pressing the damn button? Uh, the name of your awesome, uh, keynote, uh, or one of your awesome keynotes, but, uh, tell me about that. Like, how are you planning yeah. out what you're going to talk about? My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. So, I mean, I'm, I'm very much a, a consumer as well as a creator. Um, mm. So I do have kind of like a, a running, because I, I love, like for me, like I feel like my, I found my sweet spot being, like I translate the geek speak around complex, like early adoption technology. And so yeah. like my goal is to simplify it. So I often want to listen to how others are sharing knowledge to understand, okay, they're sharing it this way and it might not, you know, it might be a little polarizing. It might be, you know, disconnected and how I can interpret that. And then I also, you know, I'm, I initially said, you know, I'm gonna do a solo podcast, which I've done. Uh, I did a, a different solo podcast called FOMO fans. I did that for three years and mm. uh, I really, I did it originally cause I didn't like managing other people's calendars and getting interviews. So I was like, <laughs> I'll just do a, I'll just do a solo one. And it lasted three years. Yeah. And then it was about episode, I think 24 episodes into this podcast, when I recognize, you know what, I need to add, I want to highlight and add some other voices to this, to the show, but I'm not going to put like every Tuesday is going to be an interview because I kind of started to kind of adjust my editorial calendar. And so I do have a calendar. I do have a, a kind of a, an idea of, okay, these are the, the things that I wanted to do. And so initially I, I did, I scheduled three interviews that were with people that I was like, okay, I'm going to record the, the interviews. We're going to put them into the podcast. And then I kind of like gauged that reaction. And then I leaned in and said, you know what? It's, you know, it's every single day. So every seven days, there's two interviews and five solo episodes is kind of what we've evolved into. And what is beautiful about that is, you know, as I consume something, we add it to like the list of our um, of our topics. And then based on either what the previous guest had or the upcoming guest or what's trendy in the environment, uh, I'm able to lean into it. And I will say, like, I also like have gone out of my way to make it very it's focused on education and evergreen. Like you can go listen today to episode, you know, three, which was recorded on, on November 14th. And I believe it's still going to be, you know, relative to what's going on in this environment, even though it's cha the environment changes a lot. Mm. But I, I really focus on that piece of the content, which I also think gave me a level of comfort because 
I'm then not super swayed by like the news or drama or you know whatever is happening in the media. I can address those things if I want, but my content isn't you know determined by anyone else. And so we have like a shot list. And funny enough, I think we were. 40 episodes in when our shot list had over 365 topics and I was like well now we're just going to keep building on and we can kind of prioritize right and I, I think our list now is well I mean well, well over you know well over 400 uh, uh, topics and we kind of just lean into them I will say I do kind of have my own um, I have like a kind of I have like a rule of five that I, I use um, for the podcast it's like it's three key takeaways that I want from that episode it's one story that I believe will kind of connect to those three takeaways. And then the last thing is either a data point or a piece of self-deprecating humor that will also kind of connect the thing. So I, I do a, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, that's my rule for every single podcast I do. And, and funny enough, even uh, my virtual presentations turned, uh, I kind of leaned that same philosophy where, you know, we know that people are only going to consume so many things. So I, every single episode, I, I just start with a sticky note. You know, I do the research, I, I plan things out and then I'm like, okay, what are the three takeaways? What is that one like? What is that one story that I know that can connect some of these dots? And then, okay, here's a data point or a quote that I want to make sure I bring in. I put them on the sticky note under the camera, and then I, well, you know, I press the damn button. I love that, and I think that's 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 really uh, add some clarity uh, to to how others can do this. So, so thank you for that. Now, I want to be mindful of our time here, and I want to be. Or do you have a hard stop? No, we're good. You're good. Okay. Okay. I just want to make sure. Um, so I do want to obviously talk about this little thing called NFTs. Uh, <laughs> um, and I do encourage everybody to definitely go and, and check out uh, Brian's show, NFT 365 Daily, uh, and subscribe to that and, and listen to the back episodes. But yeah, for those, who, and I'll be honest with you, I don't own any NFTs. I'm not totally you know, I'm an early adopter on a lot of this stuff, but at the same time, as it applies to NFTs, it's uh, maybe it's, I'm getting older. I'm trying to like, you know, I'm trying to like focus on specific things and NFTs isn't one of them. Uh, so, so tell us a little bit about maybe NFTs, uh, and how maybe they could be, how may, maybe they could apply to, to the workplace as well. For sure. And I will tell you, you know, a year ago, around this time, um, I remember mocking uh, NFTs, like what a joke that there's these like JPEG pictures of monkeys that people are paying $400 for. Uh, and it made no sense to me. And I was also like, I'm not really a gamer. I was a baseball card collector growing up, but like, I'm not even like a massive collector of, of things, you know, right now. It's so, like, I wasn't really attracted to the NFTs themselves. What I've always been excited about was this idea of what is called blockchain technology, which right. blockchain is what crypto is based on. It's what the metaverse is based on. It's what NFTs are based on. Um, and the reason I was always excited about that, it was, it kind of connects back to the beginning of this podcast where mm. it adds a layer of transparency and ownership to data sharing online that right now we don't have, right? The idea that you know, if you want to, you know, if you want to go, you know, I, I use this example, I think it's a good one. Like if you want to find out the first day that you, that what was the day you signed up for LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, mm. like that, that data, that information is stored on each of those websites on their sort server, right? Like we're trusting those entities that they actually have that information. It's presented to us and, and, and they believe it's worthy for us to actually see that, right? Like, but yet it's something that we've, you know, it's an action that we've taken. And, you know, I started talking about blockchain in 2013, 2014 uh, at the data center company I worked at because for me it was such a it was such a 
a, a great, it was like, it was like this curious idea was what if we could decide like how our, our data was shared, how it was managed, but we also were able to do it in a way that it was instant, it was validated instantly. Right. Because the idea of like, you know, all, you know, it'd be great if we could just say like, yeah, give it to the person, but like, let's face it. Now we have to trust people to tell us the truth on what they're doing. And so what blockchain actually does is it actually allows us to have a permanent, you know, public record every time something is, is minted, which is the term onto the blockchain. And so this can be anything. And so right now, you know, NFTs are one of those examples, right? So you're seeing the photos or the images, but really what this, why I kind of like my, I went from mocking it, to being intrigued, to being all in and believing it's going to disrupt, you know, every aspect of every business, is is it's really the the that layer of, of a smart contract, which is a smart contract is just simply it's code that is connected to information that cannot be changed. So, like for example, you know, when you buy something, um, it can, if you let's say we let's say you buy a car, when you buy a car, it could be inked on the blockchain that day. It says, you know, Dave bought this car from this location at this time and it's permanent on the blockchain. And what is beautiful is the blockchain is almost, you know, I wouldn't say it's perfectly secure because that would be, you know, kind of anomaly, but it's, you know, it's a hyper secure, it's a permanent record that cannot be changed and it doesn't live anywhere but on the, you know, it's, we, we control like as individuals. So you would control the access to that information, but the information cannot be edited. And what's beautiful about that concept is let's say when you go to sell the car three years from now and they ask you when you bought it, you don't have to go to the dealer and get paperwork and hopefully that paperwork's printed out or go track down things. There's a permanent record that you have, you can log in on your system and say, hey, this is, this is the record on the blockchain. And what's beautiful about that is if you think about that from a transactional perspective, we can now track and share things in ways that we never have before. And it shifts the ownership idea. And so I'll use the car analogy just another time and I'll connect it to the, the workforce. But like right now when you buy a car and you take it off the lot, then we all know the minute it's off the lot, it depreciates in value. Mm. And for the most part, the dealer no longer cares what you do with that car, right? Like they're like, you know, oil change every 3000 miles, but they don't care because right. like they don't have like a ventured interest to that. But in this shift of, uh, of the dynamic, what we're seeing is that, well, you know, if we love the car and we take good care of the car, the car values maintain the reputation of that car continues to grow. And that dealer is now really benefiting from our ability. Cause I'm like a Jeep driver and everyone knows, like I talk about Jeeps. I love Jeeps. The fact that I became like a Jeep advocate because I love my Jeep, I make Jeep dealers' lives a lot easier. It's easier to sell Jeeps because those that, that have had Jeeps have talked about them. Mm. And because we end up being that vehicle, well, why isn't there something kind of back and forth? And so in a blockchain world, and this is like five years from now, but it kind of opens people's minds beyond like the photos and things we're seeing now, is that imagine that if, you know, if the car dealer could say, okay, you're going to be able to put this on the blockchain, but also in that contract, it's going to be written that I, as the dealer, I get 10% of whatever you sell the car for. Now that might sound like, wait a second, why are we giving that 10% up? But what that does is actually shifts the responsibility for the maintenance and care of that car to the dealer, because now the dealer wants you to take care of that car at the best level possible, because they're going to have a residual percentage. And the beauty of the blockchain is if that is put into the contract, 
no matter what you do when you sell the car, that 10% goes back to that person. You can't change that, right? Because it's, it's inked into the blockchain. So all of a sudden, rather than all of these things being on us, like they're going to bring the, the, the oil changes to our house. They're going to be the ones, they're going to all of a sudden, you know, going to figure out how can we optimize, you know, the brake pedal, the brakes so that brakes, so the car holds value more because they actually have a contract that cannot be changed that they actually have a percentage in it. And so now it really kind of changes a lot of that dynamic. And so that's where NFTs open up. And they also open up in a way of digital identity and reputation management which I think in the workforce especially is important in the sense of like right now, like something like, you know, what school did you go to? You know, what classes did you take? Right? Like even figuring out that information in a, in a way that can be shared, it's still like we have to go to the university and ask for our transcripts. Mm. But isn't the irony in that is we paid for school. We accomplished the goal yet. The, the data that needs to validate what we accomplished is actually being held by the people that we paid, right? Like there's a, there's a weird, um, you know, and it's just the basis of our entire, it's how the world has existed. But if, as we move to this blockchain, imagine if all of that information is now at your individual disposal and you can actually now show it to, to you know, you can decide what you share with, you know, your workplace or, or what was going on, but you can do it in a way where it is, com it is controlled by you, but it is validated because the university on the day you graduated minted it onto the blockchain. And so now the NFT, you could have NFTs in your wallet that the NFT has the day you graduated. The NFT has the, you know, your first client. And this could go as far as to say like when someone gets uh, an award or they're promoted, you could actually give them an NFT that is on the blockchain that says this person accomplished these things. And the, the nice part about that is for the first time, those real rewards and accolades are now validated and able to be taken outside of an organization because what, we all know that, right? Like that's like a limitation is it usually like you get all these yeah. awards, but if you leave the company, like, yeah, that's cool. You did all those things. We sure we believe you, but like now you're over here and we're going to be able to kind of transfer those things. But these successes that, that you're, you're describing here, um, are all sort of beneficial to the end user, let's say, right? So the guy who buys the car, the woman who's promoted at work or, and so forth. And, and I'm, I'm not really seeing like how, how is there a benefit on the, on the side of the, those that would have to implement such systems like the car dealer, like the, well, the car dealer, well, yeah, whatever the car dealer, the university and so forth. So, so if we think about it this way, like, you know, how do we incentivize our employees today, right? Like we, we hear all always, right? Like we, we don't want, you know, we want to, we don't want to, you know, take too good care of our employee so much so that they leave, right? Like that's like a narrative. And I know we kind of like love to debunk that, mm. but I think part of it becomes like, how do we, how do we incentivize and motivate, but also do it in a way that is mutually beneficial. And so, you know, we've, I, I, I you know, social business employee advocacy was kind of like my sweet spot in the government. Uh, and I always struggled with, you know, I, it was easy when I worked with government employees and the military because the military had a record. And you would say, like, if you accomplished this, you got certified in this training, it would go in your permanent record, which mm. for the military was like, all the motivation they needed, right? I had, I had people that were, I was in Iraq the first time and they were in the battlefield during the day. We would teach at night. They would do jumping jacks in the back of class to stay awake. And, and I mean, thank you to all the military uh, families and those that would serve. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, but they would do that because they knew that this would go in their record and it would allow them to build upon it. I, I questioned that in today's 
workforce on how many things that are, are, are kind of, you know, we either say, you know, they could be programs, they could be incentives, they could be, you know, you know little things within the, the company. How many of them do the employee ultimately believes is making them as a personal brand better? Because as a manager, if I'm able to find ways to incentivize by simply saying like, we're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to give you an NFT when you accomplish these things, right? When you make these things happen. And the beauty of that NFT is that you no longer have to go pitch to your next job that you met your sales quota four month, four years in a row. And then you give them a bunch of papers that they kind of believe you can actually show them. Here's my four NFTs from my boss each time that it happened. And these are the sales quotas and these are the numbers. And it's, you know, immutable on the blockchain. And so as a manager, as an executive, as a business, it's now giving us some of that, like, you know, cause like, how do you build someone's personal brand, but ultimately not do it just so that they can leave your company. Right. I believe yeah. part of that is this idea that says everything you were doing is investing in you. But if we continue to incentivize the right way, reward and celebrate, you're going to want to continue to build that same database inside. But if we aren't, if we're not holding up to our standard, you're going to leave. And I think the companies are willing to say like, hey, we will, we back up what we say. And it's unfortunately like some employees leave before giving us a chance to deliver on our value. Well, now you have the chance to prove that, right? Because now you have these things that are there. And I, you know, I always like to look at like, when I look at social media and I see how many people put in their profile, like X, X employee of Google, X IBMer, right? And yeah. like for me, like there's so, there's so much power in the fact that they loved working there so much or they, you know, they felt it was such a validating, you know, that they put it in their profile. And I think that also kind of ties back to this world where, you know, you're the, the fact that you could incentivize through something like NFTs and, and you, we could call them tokens or NFTs for whatever version yeah. of it that you want to uh, play. But the fact that that could also end up being the way that, you know, people are recruited, right? We know that, you know, the best recruiting mechanism is, you know, the, those that are already employees, right? Talking about the, the company and that kind of uh, employee, you know, testimonial and employee uh, recommendation. Well, the idea that employees could actually show like, hey, talking to a friend, like, here are the things that my company has done for me. And these are the things that I have that they've invested in me. And it's permanent in my record. I can take it wherever I'm going. Now you're adding this like this layer of, of validation. And I think the most important piece that I can say is a lot of this is saying like it's not saying that this information and data wasn't there in the past. It was. It always was. But the idea of who was in control of it and where was the validity of it was always a question, right? Like, why do we have to get, like, we have to get, like, three, you know, if you want to buy a house, you have to have, like, three of everything, right? Like, yeah, I mean, three yeah, people, yeah. because we can't just trust one source. The craziest thing about the blockchain is because of the way that it is, the you know, immutable. Like, once something is minted on the blockchain, nothing can change on it. Like, there is, it yeah. is permanently inked, and it is, the other part about this that I don't think I, I mentioned it's also transparent to the public as far as not the actual individual data, but the like the log of it happening. So there's like a there's like a hash that says like this is there on that date. And so because of that, because it is permanently there in the like if you think of it a giant spreadsheet, like once you fill out that that cell in the spreadsheet and you hit enter, you can never edit that, you can never delete it, you can never manipulate it, and it, everything that was included in it before hitting enter will always live there. Well, now we don't need someone else to hold our data. We don't need someone else to you know, you know, validate things. And the beauty of that is the way the blockchain works is it's not centralized. So like, I, mm. like if you wanted to say, like, hey, Brian, like, I want to know how many podcasts you've been on. I could say, well, you know what? Every time I was a guest on a podcast, I got an NFT. Here's, here's my record. And I can actually give, you know, 
log into my thing and say, you know, show all podcast NFTs to Dave. And you would actually be able to see, oh, each time that Brian was on a podcast, here's the podcaster, here's the date, here's the episode, here's the amount of downloads. And I expose that information because, hey, I was the one being the guest. Well, now there's like, there's no middleman, right? I don't have to go to a, a plot. I don't have to go search like right now. We like, well, we search Apple podcast for our first name and our, la- and our last name. And hopefully our names are unique to figure out you know, yeah. how many guest spots we've had. So like those kind of examples are what excite about the N- uh, NFT space. But like right now it's very much like a, uh, I- I'd say a combination of like collectors, uh, crypto, and then a-, a really a way for us to unlock community in the digital space. But in the bigger picture about it, I mean, we really are going to shift data management, digital identity, reputation management. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be beneficial for both, uh, the, the entities as well as individuals. And, and ultimately it's going to be more beneficial for, uh, for the consumer, but let's face it, like the, 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 that shift's already happening. Right. And I think I believe pers- personally too many people believe they want to be an entrepreneur when they don't really want to be an entrepreneur. They just want to know that a, their voice matters, that what they're doing is making an impact and that they're being recognized for the work they're doing. And I really believe the blockchain allows us to do that where we would actually have less people wanting or needing to feel like they need to go work on their own and more people feeling the validation just based simply on how we control that data. Yeah, it's really interesting. And thank you for the, for the, yeah, the clear explanation there. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm still like on the fence a little bit about how it applies to like, I totally get what you're saying. And, and I, and I understand uh, what you're saying with it too. But at the same time, like with, as far as the, the, those that would be like, for example, the military doesn't want to lose uh, soldiers, for example, right? Like they, they don't want people to go back to being civilians unless they're retiring or something uh, probably. Right. And like a, an employer doesn't necessarily, you know, doesn't want to lose, lose people on the team. And so if these, if these uh, NFTs that that they let's say hypothetically offered, that would be more, and uh, at least the way I'm understanding it, that would be more of an incentive for me to leave later because then I could, then I would have proof of my successes, you know, in, in the military or in in the, with this employer as an employee. Does that does that yeah, make so sense? Yeah, I'll throw in, I'll throw, so yeah, part of the permanence of it is also the contract element, right? So, like, as an employee, part of it is saying. Like we've all done this. And I know I've heard it. I, I did it as a manager and I had it the other way, right? Where we say, you know, if you, if you hit these numbers for the next six months, yeah, I'm going to get you this promotion. Or I'm going to get you this percentage. Well, let's face it. We also know that a lot of times that either doesn't happen or is pushed or were false promises. Well, in the NFT space, if that is built into the contract and I do what you said in the contract, like it's, mm. you know, it's an if this, then that statement. Like right. if on this day, six months later, this number was hit, automatically send that person 10% of their pay cut, you know, paycheck as a payment that can't be changed, right? It's in the, on the blockchain. Well, now I, I don't have to actually like part of this from an employer perspective, like I don't have to trust, like, are they really going to take care of me a year from now? Uh, are they yeah. really going to stand up? So like now it's keeping, you know, an incentive to stay there. And then there's also this element of, if we think about it from a manager's perspective, right? I think we, we often think of it from like the owner of the, of the business, but even from a manager, like I want to, to be able to hold, you know, I want to be able to sit, when I tell my employees or something, I want to be able to deliver on what I'm saying, right? Mm. And, like, and as a manager, that's like the, the hardest thing ever is to get is when you go back to your boss and say, hey, they did everything I told you. And your boss says, I know I told you that we could, you know, we could give them every other Friday off, but we're not going to be able to do that. Well, now the manager, that middle manager is feeling like 
I'm the one that is the scapegoat. I'm the one that is yeah. that has to go down there and say we change. Well, it almost eliminates that yeah. as a possibility. Now, that's going to require a lot more like, you know, commitment to some things that maybe, you know, variables that, you know, we have to change. But I do think that adds a little bit of, you know, it, it allows a manager to feel as though they're covered. It allows an employee, rather than making a decision on, are they going to do this for me? You can say, should I leave for this company or should I stay for the six months? Because I know that if I hit this number and I accomplish these things, I'm going to get rewarded because they can't change that. Right. And I think that is a, a kind of a beautiful byproduct of it. And I think that's also one to say, you know, we've, we've said this for a long while. A lot of companies want to incentivize reward based on work accomplished, not the amount of time you're, you're spending, right? We, I think that's yeah. a, a big narrative. But how do, you, like, how do you prove that? How do you like, make sure that, you know, that you know, hey, yeah, you, if, you need, if you can get it all done in 10 hours, I don't care that you get it done in 10 hours. We all know how that works. Like, I, I, I manage a giant team, and, and as soon as we would say that, like, you know, it would work for some people, but it would not work for others. But imagine if we were able to actually like, implement that in the sense of, mm. I don't care what you're working on, but the only way you get this is based on you accomplishing these things. And it doesn't have to be financial, right? It can be simply like, I need you to make sure that these, you know, um, every time that you have a, a customer that renews, it goes into the blockchain and you're not going to get your bonus until all 10 of them are, are done. Well, now you have like the, the contract on your side as well as the employer. And they come back to you after they have eight of them and say, I've worked so hard. Um, and you're like, well, have you worked hard? Like you're like, it does kind of allow a little bit of this, like it, a little bit of freedom on both sides, but also validity on both sides. Cause you can start validating things that today, um, you know, it's like, how do I trust that you're going to do this? Well, I wrote a contract that can't be changed, that you don't get your last paycheck unless you are actually delivering on what you said. And so I'm going to give you the freedom to choose when you work or how you work. Just know that when you don't deliver, there is nothing I can do for you. Now that kind of changes that dynamic as well. Yeah, it's interesting. That's really interesting. Uh, are there employers, like are there companies now that you know of that are that are including NFTs? So I know there's a, there's some companies that are looking at it from, you know, I think most of them are looking at it from an external partner perspective first, rather okay. than an employee perspective, which I still argue is like, you know, to me, it's a little bit, the it's kind of like influencer marketing where, you know, a lot of companies go and want to hire influencers to talk about their company, but yet they haven't trained their own employees to tell their employee story. And you know, right, right. the people on your payroll are, are committed to your story. Like let's, let's like fine tune our story there before we try to get an outsider to do it. Yeah. Um, but I think part of it is like, you know, the, the, the difficulty in NFTs is there's also the, the connection to cryptocurrency that, that is required, right? So for a lot of this is like, okay, if, even if there's not a financial you know, component, we're going we're gonna to put it onto a blockchain that also could have a, a financial uh, piece on it as well. But, you know, I've worked with, you know, a couple of big brands, you know, like I mean, most people are familiar with Oracle and SAP. Mm -hmm. And both of them are coming to me on, okay, if I'm looking at, you know, uh, NFTs to reward employees that attend things and that, are, that demonstrate, like go to things based on our brand that is, you know, either inside their, you know, their, st their statement of work, but, or kind of like that gray area, like what would that look like and how do I build that to happen? And I think that to me is kind of like the, the entry point for a lot of the companies today. But I also think we have a little bit of ways to go um, as far as like kind of the, the policy management, making the technology of it a little easier. But that's ultimately why like I'm in it today and I'm collecting a lot of you know NFTs that that might from the outside, like I have a like a, a cheetah a, a NFT. Yeah. And from the outside, it's called a coalition crew. And from the outside, you're like, Brian, you spent $800 on this photo of a cheetah. 
But what that photo of a cheetah gives me access to is it gives me access to an academy that's run by Peter Vogue. And what Peter has done in that academy is that everyone that holds this NFT gets this unfiltered access. And then on top of the unfiltered access, if you hold the NFT and you are in any of these cities when he's in the city, you actually get VIP access to the event he's attending. And then if, you're, if you attend two of the events that he's at, with your NFT, he actually gives you a second NFT to give to someone else, right? And then the beauty of this is, unlike traditional today, if you sign up for a membership or you pay for a course, we've all done it. You've paid for a course and about a month in, you're like, I'm never gonna complete this course. You're kind of out of luck. With the NFT as this, like I could do this, I, I own it, it's called the Coalition Crew is the example. And I could own it, I could participate in his community, I could attend his event, and you know what, after three months I decided, you know what, I'm, I don't have the time for this entrepreneur piece. Because I own my ticket to the, you know, this NFT, I can resell that to someone else that wants to continue on with the benefits that this provides. And so I could ultimately sell it even for you know, more or you know, the same um, and get that value out of it as, you know, along the way. And so like, that to me is like the main use case today. And the, the byproduct of it is like, why is the cheetah exist? Well, really, it's a, it's a marketing, like, uh, it's a way for you like, to peacock or to broadcast to the world like, hey, this is a community that I'm a part of. Right. And I would argue in the digital world today, like, I mean, we both, you know, we both could be part of NSA, yet the only way that we realize we're both part of the National Speakers Association is if we attend the same conference or we live in the same city, right? We won't even, there's really nowhere for us to say, like, to broadcast, like, hey, I'm a part of this community. These are the values that I have. And NFTs are really giving us an opportunity to, to broadcast kind of the world like, hey, I'm a part of this and these, that, this community shares my values. And so that's why, like, that's why the, the JPEG exists and then it unlocks the things beneath it and it gives a little bit of that, that ownership. So that's kind of what the, like, the main use case is today. But we're going to be moving towards much more you know, dynamic use cases from everything from you know, buying the car to you know, managing your you know, digital identity within your, your, within your company. Yeah, that's fascinating, and and thank you for for this too, because it it is uh, teaching me a little a little bit here too, because I like, yeah, I do see it. The the really the the most benefit of it is is those that obtain the NFTs, or, or, or yeah, those that receive the NFTs rather than those who maybe produce the NFTs, and and, and at least in, in what we're talking about here. Um, it's, it sounds like, uh, but it's, yeah, no, it's fascinating stuff. And I do encourage everybody to, to check out, uh, NFT 365 daily podcast. Okay. Thank you again for that. Okay. Let me go to the quick lightning round and we'll wrap up. Cause I want to be respectful of your time here. Complete this sentence. Nice guys and gals finish happy. What's a nice book you recommend to the nice makers. Black sheep by Brent Brent Menzoir. Great book. Uh, let me see. How is Brian nice to himself? I forgive myself for not doing the dishes every day. <laughs> not every day. Hopefully you get around to it. I get around to it, but I forgive, <laughs> yeah, every, at the end of the day, if I have not done the dishes, I give myself forgiveness. <laughs> All right. If you had a billboard, what would it say? Be yourself. Okay. And last question. I don't, I, I usually wrap there, but I have to ask you because I know you're a hockey guy. Best hockey movie. Oh, best hockey movie. <laughs> you know, I, I have to go Mighty Ducks. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just too, I, I've, I mean, my daughter is, we've, my daughters can quote pretty much all three of the Mighty Ducks. Um, but now like going back and rewatching them again, oh, they're so good. It's just all aspects. Like even the game, you know, anyone that loves sports, like sports movies are usually really bad at like 
emulating just basics of like the, 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 like the, how the referee points the right direction. And like, and I, and funny enough, like Mighty Ducks got it right. So yeah, I, I go and go with Mighty Ducks. I love that. And there's such a classic movie too. Like it's one of those, it's one of those movies. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like my favorite, my favorite hockey movie, but one of the, one of them is certainly, uh, do you ever watch, um, uh, what is it? Slapshot. Slapshot. Oh yes, for sure. Yeah, I, I actually have a slap shot. I have one of the jerseys uh, signed by uh, one of the the original slap shots uh, members, uh, which was like really cool. But see, like even like slap shots to me, like I love that movie. But it also was like a, a, a it was like you know more of like those like cult classics where like in a weird way like my, you know, like Mighty Ducks was one that kind of like transcends. And like you have like the Miracle, which I think is a uh, you know another of course great movie uh, about hockey. And yeah, um, but I, yeah, it's funny. It's, I mean, it's a great question because I think there's. There's ways now, you know, especially as a dad, I'm sure you're the same. Like, when I like go some of the movies I lo- I I loved, I'm like, why did I love that? Like that, there's there's not anything in that movie that have like principles that I would stand on or values. But then there's <laughs> ones like Muddy Ducks. You're like, I my my daughters can watch that as many times as they want because it teaches so many things, that, uh, you know, a value in the long run. It totally holds up too. It's like one of those, like, yeah, it's a, it's such a good movie, and uh, yeah, I, I love it. And it's very cool that you got the slap shot uh, jersey, by the way. <clears throat> bonus points for that. All right, my friend, how can people get a hold of you? So yeah, um, I, I, I preach consistency. So uh, I social fans with a Z is my username uh, on every single social channel. I'm pretty active everywhere. Uh, yeah. And the podcast is uh, you want to check it out. The NFT 365 podcast.com is the website. And the piece that I didn't share is, you know, I, the financial aspect of NFTs, you know, as a barrier to entry today was something that really worried me. I didn't want to create a daily podcast that just made the 1% richer. Like that's not uh, who I am. And so what I decided to do was that I was going to buy an NFT every single day with the podcast so that you can come along with me. You don't have to put your money up. You can actually see what we're buying. You can see the benefits we get. You can see the, if, if does it, you know, does it increase in value? Does it uh, decrease in value? So, you know, as of this recording, I bought 117 days in a row. I've bought an NFT uh, and you can check it out on the website. You can see the different ones that we've bought, why we bought them, um, you know, who's involved, what are the, what are the different use cases? So yeah, all of that's on the, on the website, uh, NFT 365 podcast.com. All right, Mr. Fanzo, thank you so much. It's been an awesome time uh, catching up and chatting. So thanks for joining me thanks for having me cheers thanks for listening to the nice podcast please leave a review if you enjoyed this episode at friend.nicepodcast.co and you can find show notes links to other episodes and lots of other goodies over at nicepodcast.co music by alistair crystal at alistaircrystal.ca we'll see you next time and be nice You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, 
Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe.